Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's ask Jesus to bless us with his word. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for the word of God. Thank you for these experiences you've given us this entire conference. It's been exciting, Lord. And Father, as we are ending this last meeting, we are praying and asking for something more than a message, more than a sermon, more than just a Bible study, Lord. We are praying that you would open up the gates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that every person who walks out of this auditorium, Lord, would be changed because we have been in the presence of the Almighty. Father in heaven, we pray that every person would know personally that they have been spoken to you, that they've been spoken to by you, God. We just thank you so much. Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you and we thank you now for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, the name of this conference is called iShare. And every time I think about iShare, I think technology. Do you think technology? I think about this. What do you call this thing? It's not an iPod. It's called an iPhone what? iPhone 4. It's pretty advanced, cutting-edge stuff. Uh, this stuff is top of the line until September. And I have this. It's called an iPad, and it's pretty advanced, and I've used it about four or five times, thinking it's really cool. I really appreciated this. But let me just share with you something more advanced than that. It's called the iRead Bible. You ever heard of this thing? The iRead Bible. I hope that you have one of these. I mean, these things, you can get them everywhere. And uh, um, Apple didn't come up with it, amen? Apple did not come up with it. All right, we're going to be looking at a, a very interesting story in scriptures, and uh, I'm going to do my best to stay within camera focus. I tend to move around, but uh, you can do some editing later on. But everyone, take your Bible, and let's go to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I woke up this morning, and I felt very impressed to share this story with you, because I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate something very special to each and every person here. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And we are going to look at the story of King Uzziah. King Uzziah. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Now let's start with verse 1. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Uzziah came to the throne at a very young age. And this was a time when Israel and Judah were split. And there was some very much instability that was taking place. There would sometimes be righteous kings and unrighteous kings. Kings that had fallen into paganisms. Kings that had fallen into idolatry. And whenever the king fell into idolatry, all the people would fall into what? Idolatry, right? And so Uzziah came at a moment that was very much needed. The Bible talks about him in that exact same chapter, and he begins to do so much reform, politics, he begins to, to change the defenses of the city, and the Bible says he prepared his ways before the Lord until something took place. Look all the way at verse 16. We're going to verse 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was what? Lifted up. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. To his what? 
destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the what? The temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord, and I love what it says, valiant men. The temple was set up, and only the priests were required to enter into the temple. Only men who had been called by God, sanctified God, Levites, were required to go into the temple. Anybody else would be destroyed either by God or by the people. And one day this king, who gets very proud, decides that he's going to enter into the temple. And as he rushes into this temple, wanting to see what's in its inner precincts, finding out what's really inside there, the, the mystery that was surrounding the inner parts of the sanctuary, he goes in because he thinks to himself, I am the highest authority in the land. No one is going to stop him. And I love what the Bible says, that 80 priests, valiant men, rushed in there as well. And they were stopping him. And they said, this is not what you are supposed to be doing. Look at the rest of the chapter. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for what? You, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the what? Priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the what? The sanctuary. Get out of the sanctuary, they told this king. He was the highest authority in the land. Imagine that. He can, he can have those priests just executed. But these men defended the honor of God, and they would not violate the thus saith the Lord. And they themselves knew who was responsible when someone entered into that temple. Now watch what happens next. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, then Uzziah became furious and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out into his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was what? Leprous. So they thrust him out that place. Indeed, he hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. This king walks in, he marches in, and he's trying to light incense, trying to take the police place of the priest, and all of a sudden the priests jump in, they said, no, you need to get out of this place, and all of a sudden his head gets struck with leprosy, and they can see it, and they rush him out, but even he himself realizes what's taking place, and he runs right out of that temple. And the Bible says that he was a leper until the day of his death. This was a king who was supposed to change Israel. Folks, I'm going to say something to you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I believe Ellen White is true when she says many bright lights will go out in the end times. There's going to be a lot of spiritual leaders you have trusted who are going to fail. But you are not to put your trust in men, but in the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Now, this story is very interesting. This was the head of Israel, the head of Judah. And now this apostasy took place, and Jotham, his son, took over. Now let's press pause there right now. I want everybody to take your Bible and go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This king had been struck with leprosy. And you can imagine the shock in all of Israel. The lesson was learned. We are going to Isaiah chapter 6. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. 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 Starting with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah, what? 
died. This was the year that King Uzziah died. Died of what? Leprosy. Watch what happens next. I saw the Lord sitting on a what? Throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the what? Let me ask you a question. What did Isaiah just have a vision of? The what? The holy of holies. Do you see why this is extremely important? I want you to notice the contrast right here. You just had the highest authority who tried marching into this earthly sanctuary, get struck, didn't even make it to the most holy place, and then all of a sudden, in the very year that he died, this lowly man gets called to be a prophet. And the way he's called is very interesting. All of a sudden, he's taken in vision, and in vision, he's brought right to the most holy place of God Almighty. Even the highest authority was not allowed in the inner precincts of the temple. But this man, this young man, was brought into the most holiest place out of the entire universe. Now let's watch what happens next. Above it stood seraphim, each one, six wings. With two he covered his what? Face With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and he cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah enters in at a time of worship. These angels are covering their eyes, they're covering their feet as a sign of reference, and they're, they're, they're talking out loud, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. And Isaiah is just brought in at the very point of this worship. Let's keep going. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with what? And I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the what? The king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal from which we had taken from the tongs of the what? Altar. By the way, do you know what altar this was? It was the altar of incense. Now let me ask you a question. What was King Uzziah trying to do? He was trying to burn incense to God. Now this is very interesting. Let's keep going a little bit more. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Then I heard the voice of an angel. Is that what it says? No, the voice of the Lord, and he said, Whom shall I send, and who will what? Go for us. And I love Isaiah's reply. Look what it says. Then I said, Here am I, send what? Me. Do you see the contrast here? It's very important to understand. You have a king who was the highest authority in the land, and he was not allowed to go into the temple, the earthly temple, because of the holiness and all of a sudden, Isaiah, in the midst of his life, gets taken up in vision, and he's not just brought into the earthly sanctuary, he's actually brought into the heavenly sanctuary. And not just any part of the heavenly sanctuary, he's actually brought into the most holy of holies. Brought into the very presence of God. In the very year that this king died. God was communicating a message just for Isaiah. Folks, I want you to understand something. Isaiah received a call 
from the most holiest place in all the universe. And do you know where the most holiest place is in all the universe? Wherever Jesus is at. Amen? Now, let's bring it back to us. Why is this extremely important? Folks, I want you to understand something. When it comes to our message as Seventh-day Adventists, there is something that is central to Seventh-day Adventism, and it is something called the Sanctuary Doctrine. It's called the what? Sanctuary Doctrine. And the Sanctuary Doctrine is the linchpin of Seventh-day Adventism. If you remove this doctrine, all the other teachings collapse. All the other teachings are possessed by every other church. But when it comes to the Sanctuary System, it's completely understood by Seventh-day Adventists alone. There is no other church that has this understanding of the sanctuary system. It brings it all together. And why is this extremely important to understand? Because, folks, it's extremely important to understand your history. You need to understand where you came from as Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? You know, I was born and raised uh, uh, down in Southern California. Uh, my parents immigrated from India. And uh, growing up between the Indian culture and the American culture, it was a bit confusing to me. And, uh, you know, I'd go home and my mom be cooking curry and Indian food and there'd be Indian values. And, amen. And then, like, when I would, I would go outside, I have, like, Western values and hearing my friends say to their moms, I hate you, mom, because you won't let me buy this video game. And it was such a contrast. It was such a contrast. And, folks, I want you to understand something. There is a contrast right now. There's a very special contrast, and we need to understand this as Seventh-day Adventists. Why is this extremely important? Because when my mom began to teach me about where I came from, I became more proud of being an Indian. But folks, I want to let you know something. When you find out a little bit more where you came from, you're going to be proud. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now let's go back. Let's go back in history. You will see a world that is covered in darkness. The entire world has been covered in darkness because of the fall of man. After the Tower of Babel, the confusion spread all over the earth. Men were not able to communicate to each other. The light of God's glory, his character was hidden to this entire world. God called a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham represents those who at the end time will be called out of Babylon. Abraham was called out of Ur of Chaldees. And Abraham heard the voice of God, and he is a type of those people at the very end of time who will come out of Babylon. Can you say amen to that? And Abraham's generations ultimately led to Moses, right? And God gave to Moses and to all the Israelites a system to understand the plan of redemption, and it was called the sanctuary system. He told them what it was. Moses gave all the, wrote down all the laws, all the, all the uh, dynamics of the sanctuary system. And there upon this planet was given the map of redemption. And the entire nations of the world were invited to this. And there was a time that Israel was faithful. During the very beginning of Solomon's reign and other individuals, nations began to find out about the plan of redemption. And if you want to learn more about that, go listen to uh, my apologetic class number three, audio verse, right? Okay, anyways. And uh, here's the important thing to understand. The Jews understood this, but the world did not accept the sanctuary system. All of a sudden, Christ came to this earth, and he said he was the, what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of this world. And he died on a cross for humanity. He was the Lamb. And he ascended into the heavenly sanctuary. But guess what? The Jews did not follow Jesus into the heavenly sanctuary. And that's why today, 
They continue with these ceremonies. And they continue with all these things that they do. But it's useless. There is no benefit. And so you had all the Christendom that now was receiving the benefits of Christ's intercession in the holy place of the sanctuary. But one day, Jesus gets up and he goes in to the most holy place of God. And when he goes there, it is only a small group of people who get up and follow him into the most holy place. Folks, I want you to understand that that was the Seventh-day Adventists. They followed Jesus into the most holy place. Now you have a Christian world today. And I don't mean to insult anybody who's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but I want to be very frank with you. Christianity right now is just about spiritual growth. It's just about this concept of what we call worship. And it's just about maintaining your day-to-day existence. And that's all there is. And there's not an understanding of prophecy. There's not an understanding of what's about to happen. And so there's no benefit being received. But folks, God has called the people into the most holy place where he is at, and that is the Seventh-day Adventist church. Can you say amen to that? And folks, what did Jesus say? He prayed to his Father that they may be where he is at. He prayed for the people of God that they would be exactly where he would be at. And where would he be at? He'd go into the holy place and eventually make himself into the, go into the most holy place. Folks, I want you to understand something. When it comes to the sanctuary doctrine, you're going to find a lot of people, a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who do not agree with this sanctuary doctrine. And they're going to oppose it. You're going to find people on the other end of the spectrum who believe that the church has completely apostatized. I never forgot this experience. I, was, uh, I, was, I went home to visit my mom in Southern California, and one of my friends, uh, she's, I call, she's like my Christian mom, she said, hey, there's a new church plant. You need to go check out this new church plant. I said, okay, let's go. And so we went there, and as we were driving up to this church plant, it was in an office building, and I noticed something different about this. It didn't say Seventh-day Adventist church. It said the Seventh-day church. And I said, I turned to my friend, I said, is this a Seventh-day Adventist church? And she says, well, that's what all the other church members were saying, and there's a fiery preacher in there, and we need to check it out. And I said, well, let's go inside. We went inside. Let me just, woo, let me just tell you what took place. There, I, we walked in there, okay, and there was this preacher, and he was rebuking everything. From left to right, he was uh, rebuking music, he was rebuking homosexuals, he was rebuking people, he was rebuking Seventh-day Adventists, he was rebuking music. The only thing he didn't rebuke is J.J. Heller. I mean, he was rebuking every kind of music there was. I mean, everything. He was rebuking, and all the people were like, amen, hallelujah. And you just felt this negative vibe. It was so strange. It was very negative. And I sat down there and I just listened to it and there was just this burden on my heart as I was listening to this preacher as he was talking about what's bad here and what's bad there and he was talking about the apostasy of the church and how the church was Babylon. And so as I was listening to this, all of a sudden my stomach began to grumble and soon I realized it was time for a potluck. And so, hold on. We, we went outside and I sat around a group of people and I was keeping my mouth shut, because when Anel starts talking, it's bad news. And I was keeping my mouth shut, 
and I never forgot what started taking place. A conversation started taking place. Okay, I was right here, my friend was right here, and right across were all these people, and some of them were people from my church. Okay, they were there. And the first person says this, you know, I really praise God. And you know why I praise God? Because this guy is preaching the straight message. And then the next individual said, and you know what? The church is just, it's, the, it's in bad shape. The Seventh-day Adventist church, it's just in bad shape. And he said, let me just tell you about my pastor. And he said, my pastor didn't even want me to give a Bible study to somebody. And then the next individual began to talk about the conference. I said, yeah, the conference is just a bunch of corrupt people. They do a lot of bad stuff. They steal money. And then it was the next person that just really crossed me. <laughs> they said, and you know what? This church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, it is Babylon. And, you know, there's a line that I have in my mind. It's called the line of righteous indignation. And at that moment... At that moment, I said, okay, I'm going to start talking right now. And here they were, and everyone was just talking about how bad the church was. And I first turned to the guy who, who, whose pastor tried to stop him from giving a Bible study. And I said to him, I said, let me ask you a question. He said, yeah. I said, what Bible study were you going to give as your very first Bible study? And he said, well, I was going to give the mark of the beast. And I said, you were going to tell somebody on the very first Bible study that Sunday was the mark of the beast. He said, yeah. And I said, if I was a pastor of your church, I wouldn't let you give it a Bible study either. Then I turned to the next person. I turned to the next person. And I said this. I said, you're talking about the straight message? I said, have you ever gone in there and done evangelism in your church? Are you always going to church just to, to get and never give? And she was silenced. Then I turned to the neck. I felt like Samson, hip and thigh, hip and thigh, hip and thigh. <laughs> and so I turned to the next person, okay? I turned to the next person. And the next person was that individual that was talking about, what was he talking about? Babylon. That was the one right there. I turned to them. Oh, the conference. Very good. I turned to the person in the conference and I said this, have you ever been in the conference? And they said no. And I said, those men and women pray. I said, you need to check that out for yourself before you make a judgment call like that. I turned to the last person who was the one that talked about the church being Babylon. And I said to them, I said, have you ever read in the Spirit of Prophecy? And they said, yeah, I read Spirit of Prophecy. I said, have you ever read Spirit of Prophecy in eight different places where Ellen White says, do not call the church Babylon, do not call the church Babylon, do not call the church of Babylon. And then I went to Revelation chapter 3 and I said, have you ever looked at all the churches that are to come that have been prophesied? I said, what's the last church? He said, Laodicea. And I said, what's the church that comes after Laodicea? It's like, there is no other church. And I said, there is no other church in the Seventh-day Adventist church. There's not, no other movement that comes after this. I never forgot. They were just silent and they were just staring at me. And I felt God impress me at that very moment. Anel, you call for an appeal and you pray with them. You know, when I was... <laughs> the Lord puts me in this situation sometimes and I'd rather not be there. But I began to appeal to them. And I said, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, God has raised up this movement. This is the bride of Christ. This is your spiritual mother. This is your spiritual mother. And, you, and I said to them, you know what the truths are. And you guys are moving away from these truths. And I called for an appeal and I said, we're going to pray. They all bowed their head. We prayed. Next Sabbath, they're all back in church. Here's the thing, folks. I want you to understand. God has raised up this movement. Can you say amen to that? 
and he is calling us to be part of this movement. And the great thing is, is that we get to, out of the entire world's history, we get to be part of the most exciting movement there's ever been upon this entire planet. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. <laughs> Folks, you're going to walk out of here. You're going to walk out of here. And you're going to face many discouraging experiences. You're going to find people and where you're going to go there, and they're going to be very discouraging in the church. You're not going to find friends who are spiritual anymore. You're going to find lifeless sermons in your church. And there's going to be a time for you where you're going to be tempted to think that everything that took place in this summer was just fake. But folks, you need to understand something. As God called Isaiah from the most holy place, he is calling you, Seventh-day Adventist, from the Holy of Holies. You have a very special calling upon this world, a calling that the entire world does not possess, not even the highest authorities in this world. Have the calling that you have. You are called from the most holiest place in this entire universe, places that where the rest of the unfallen worlds do not have access to. Because where Christ is, that's where his bride is. Amen? Amen? Folks, we need to understand the sanctuary doctrine like never before. I read a quote by Ellen White where she says this. Very, very interesting. She says this. She says, she sees a conversation taking place between Satan and his angels. And in this conversation, the devil is telling his angels, he is saying to them, we've got to blind the people from understanding the Sabbath. And the reason why is because they will understand the law. And if they understand the law, they will understand the sanctuary. And if they understand the sanctuary, they will understand Christ's ministration taking place right now. Folks, do you understand that Christ's ministration in the Holy of Holies is just as important as Calvary? Do you understand that? I hope you understand that. Because many times we're like Daniel. Right after he was given a, a, a vision of like of what was taking place in the Holy of Holies and he saw the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days, he says, I'm wondering about the beast's power, what the papacy is going to do next. And he just missed one of the most exciting events in all of eternity. When Christ stepped into the most holy place. Folks, do you realize there is very special benefits for those who are in the most holy place? Just like the Jews who are just doing what they're doing and like the rest of Christendom that is just doing what it's doing, God has benefits for those who have entered by faith with him into the most holy place. Very special benefits for you, for you. So what's in the most holy place? Hope you know. What's in the most holy place? You have the Ark of the Covenant, right? You have the Ark of the Covenant. I never forgot this. I got to tell you this experience real quick. You know, one day I went to Jamba Juice. You like Jamba Juice? Yeah. Amen. Jamba Juice and Seventh-day Adventist. Same thing. All right. <laughs> I, was, I went into Jamba Juice one day, and I walked in there, and I was just, I ordered my, uh, I think it was an all-fruit smoothie, and I was just sitting there slurping it. And all of a sudden, this man comes in with this Jewish garment. He comes in there, and he has this thing that was tried around his wrist. 
And he goes in there and he gets his Jamba Juice and he's waiting there. And I'm thinking to myself, this would be really great for me to witness to him right now. And uh, leave it to Anel being brilliant. I walked up to him and I said, okay, I'm going to give him, I know what to say to him. I go up to him and I say, excuse me, what religious persuasion are you? And he says, well, I'm a Messianic Jew. And I said, you're a Messianic Jew? He's like, yeah. I go, so am I. And he said, really? He goes, yeah. I go, I don't eat unclean meat. And he goes, neither do I. And I go, I keep the seventh-day Sabbath. He goes, so do I. And I go, this is great. And I said, I keep the Ten Commandments. And he goes, so do I. And I also keep 612 other laws. And I said, you keep 612 other laws? He's like, yeah. That's what Messianic Jews are all about. And he was just talking to me and stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm going to question the questioner right now. You know what that's all about, amen? That's session two, audio verse. <laughs> the very end of it, very end of it, I said, let me ask you one question. He said, yeah. I said, why is it that the law of Moses was outside the ark and the Ten Commandments were inside the ark? And he said, that's actually a good question. It's going to require a lot of explanation. And I just stood there staring. Remember? Play dumb. Play dumb. The guy was just shocked. He was confused. Folks, God has granted this church beautiful messages. Amen? Beautiful truths. Your calling comes from God Almighty, where He is at, and that is the most holy place. And when you realize this, all of a sudden you realize that Seventh-day Adventism isn't just about a church. That your calling comes from the most holiest place in all the universe. And Isaiah, who realized this for 52 years, he began to do ministry to the point where he was eventually martyred, sawed in half. But because he had a revelation of God in the most holy place, it drove him. And when you realize that Christ is there for you, it will drive you unlike anything else, any other force in this world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Folks, this sermon is done. Amen. <laughs> so we're going to do something very special. I want to end this sermon with a very special call, but five calls. Five calls we're going to make. A little bit of understanding. We begin to realize, wait a second. I have a very holy calling upon my life. Something that the entire world is unaware of. The universe is watching. God is watching. You know, when I, one day when I was in India... I was preaching in Isaiah chapter 6, and in India, everyone is very stoic. You don't hear amens or hallelujahs, all this stuff. People are very stoic. And I was preaching away, and I talked about Isaiah chapter 6, and I was talking about it, and I was making this appeal, and no one was getting up. And I felt impressed by God. And you know what it means to be impressed when, ver when words just come into your mind that are completely unusual. I felt impressed that very moment with a thought, and I shared it with them. I said, how many of those angels that were in that room wouldn't have jumped for that chance to go for God? How many of those angels wouldn't have just jumped? Ellen White even says they have an almost eager impatience right now. How many of those angels wouldn't have jumped for that chance to give to the world the message of a crucified 
risen and soon coming Savior. How many of those angels wouldn't have jumped at that chance? But I said, Isaiah, little Isaiah. So you can just picture him right there. He begins to jump up and down. He says, here I am, God. Here I am. Lord, you're looking for somebody. I'm right here. I'm right here. And folks, I never forgot it. When I told those people that Isaiah, young Isaiah, was willing to jump up because he was so excited about this special calling. All of a sudden, somebody came up, then more people came up, and all of a sudden, all these other people began to come up because they realized that this was a special calling that God was giving. Folks, we've been called to a very special movement. And God wants you to be part of that. The train is moving. The second coming is soon here. I've talked to men who have lived almost 100 years, and they say to me, look, we have seen the rise and fall of presidents. We have seen depressions. We have seen wars. But what is now happening in this world is beyond anything. It is staggering. Even these men who've lived almost 100 years are realizing something is terribly wrong right now with our world. And God is asking the question, who will go for us? Who will go for the universe? God is looking for people, amen? amen? He is looking for people. And you have felt that calling upon your life this weekend, perhaps this entire summer. You felt God tug at you and call you to follow him that you may be where he's at. And where is he? He's in the most holy place, but he's also by the side of the sick man. He's by the side of that person who needs to be visited. He's by the side of that other individual who doesn't know him. And he wants you to be there too. Folks, calling number one right here. Calling number one. You can take your cell phone out if you want. You don't have to. But ask yourself this question. How many people on this phone that are in my sphere of influence actually know Jesus? That are converted? And you say, well, some of them are Seventh-day Adventists. Doesn't make a difference. God can raise Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh Adventists out of rocks. Ask yourself, does this person truly know Jesus? Then I want, you to, I want you to do this. This week, I want you to call them up and give a Bible study to them over the phone. You say, that person may say no. Well, hang up and go to the next person. I'm sure you have many people on your phone who don't know Jesus. And I promise you, at least one or two of them will accept that Bible study. And you will see, when they say it to you at the very end, I needed this right now. First calling is this, that you would, this weekend... This weekend, even before Sunday evening comes out, you would call somebody on your phone and give at least one Bible study to somebody on that phone. Raising your hand. You say, I want to do that. Raise your hand. Folks, I promise you, God has people. He has people within your sphere of influence. He wants you to reach. You put your hand down. Amen. Don't forget your calling because right now, angels of God have recorded what you've just done. They have recorded what you've just done. Keep your word. Calling number two. Calling number two is that you will go back to your church. You will go back to your church and you will find a ministry that you can be a part of. Whether it's GLOW, whether it's starting a call porter team, whether it's uh, going door to door, whether it's helping out the evangelist, giving a Sabbath school that you yourself will enter into some type of ministry. 
So anybody by the raising their hand said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going back to my church and I'm going to find a ministry. Even if it's Dorcas, you do it. Amen? Calling number three. Calling number three. You might have felt the tug on your heart that you needed spiritual training of some kind. And you know that you would, you just really have just been growing and just appreciating all the things that you've been learning. But you want more. And if you know you go back to that environment, you know that you will begin to seep back into this world. And God has been laying on your heart to go to Souls or Arise or AFCO or one of these schools. And you say, to get trained. I believe every person in their life must experience some genuine biblical teaching by somebody. It's very biblical. You see it. And you have felt the tug. It may be now. It may be just in a few months. But you can say, you know what? I'm going to take an entire semester out. I'm going to get trained in some way. I want you to raise your hand if you felt that tug. Amen. 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 Calling number four. Calling number four. I'm going to back up what Peter Neri said. Perhaps there's somebody in your life that you know God is calling you not to be with. He's tugging on your heart that that person is not leading you closer to Christ. They are leading you further away. Folks, I never forgot what somebody told me once. They said this, they said, if you make a bad decision in your life regarding this area of your life, you're going to really regret this. And she was somebody who was older and had lived through abuse. And when she said those words, I felt the solemnity of that moment right then and there, that God was speaking to me. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. But if Jesus is laying it on your heart, that that person is not leading you closer to Christ, then you need to separate yourself from them. We're right before the Holy Land. And Balaam's got his people there. We've got to press through, amen? We are called to be pure people, a people who follow Jesus wherever he goes. Amen? Don't, don't walk away and say, well, I'm going to get more counsel from people. If you know what Jesus is saying to you, do not resist his counsel. Do not resist his voice speaking to you. Amen. And with this story, and then we're going to close for prayer. There was once a man came out of a plane with his wife, they had returned from Africa for so many years. They had been done doing mission work there. Came back, been there for eight years, and they were an elderly couple. They raised up three churches, saw 100 people baptized. As they were coming off this plane, they noticed another plane, and it was Theodore Roosevelt coming off that plane. And all the fanfare was there, all the balloons were there, everyone was cheering, and they were just so happy that their president had returned. He had to come back from a hunting trip in Africa. And the husband turns to his wife and says, Honey, why is it that this man 
goes to Africa to kill some animals. He comes back after being there for a few days. And everyone's excited that he's come home. But when we come home after giving eight years of our life in ministry, no one's here. His wife turns to him, says, Honey, it's because we're not home yet. Amen. We're not home yet. Amen? The time's going to come when Jesus takes us home and we're going to see what's in store for us. Amen? He wants you to be faithful. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for I share. God, it's just been exciting just to be stirred up in our hearts. But Lord, only you can keep us and preserve us as we leave this place. Jesus, we need your help. We need the Spirit of God. Father, fill us every recess of our soul that it would be filled by you. We pray that as we keep going in our lives, that we keep growing, whatever trials and situations and struggles come, Lord, that we would get up and keep telling everybody about the wonderful news of your soon return. Until that day till we see you face to face, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.